Well, uh, thank you, worship team, and I, I want to say a special word of thanks to Esther and the choir. I, I love choirs, and I'm glad we have resurrected a choir many months yet from Resurrection Sunday. So bless you, Esther. And by the way, uh, Esther's parents are here visiting from Hong Kong. I, I hope you will find them and thank them for giving their daughter to Singapore and to GBC. Uh, she has been a great blessing to us. If you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to turn in uh, Luke's Gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ as recorded by a medical doctor who pays attention to details. And while you're turning to that, uh, Luke chapter 2, and in a moment I'm going to read verses 1 through 7, I think sometimes when a new pastor comes in, there, there are transition issues that create a bit of anxiety, especially when you get somebody from Canada. I'm assuming everything you know about Canada could fit on a postcard. So let me just let you know in advance that at the end of the service, because this is a season of giving, I've asked that we take a second offering. Don't get anxious. It's not about the building project. It's not about what's in your purse or your billfold, your wallet. It's, a, it's an offering of a different order. And if you'll notice inside your ministry guide, there's a little card. Um, at the end of the service, at the end of my message, I'm going to ask that the ushers come again. And if there's something that you desire to give to the God of Christmas something beyond money, but something of yourself, then we want to invite every GBC member, a guest, just to write your name and to check one of those boxes and put that in the offering bag as it comes by. And this is the word of the Lord taken from Luke's gospel, and I'll read for us verses 1 through 7. In those days... A decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. And he went to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Let's pray together. Father God, uh, in the busyness of this season, a season which is often full of anxiety, help us to just push pause so that we might hear from you. Pray that you would open our ears, give us attentive hearts so that we might hear something from the God of creation, lessons that we could learn from this innkeeper. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. As you can see, I've uh, entitled this message, Lessons from the Innkeeper, and let me be honest, 
Uh, these are lessons that he's taught me. I don't know if they're for you at all, but I know they are for me. Um, every once in a while, you are reading Scripture, and you come across a character in God's Word who remains nameless. And whenever I see one of those people, because I'm second-born, middle child, often feeling invisible, uh, I put my name there. And I think it's good practice to read yourself into the Word of God. Put yourself in the biblical narrative. Uh, Don't call yourself Jesus because you are not Him. But you are somewhere else in that crowd of people who have interaction with the Christ child. And I call myself an innkeeper. The, The first thing I want to remind us, though, is the lessons of this innkeeper, they are set in history. They're not just pulled from the mythology of some religious book. There are four secular historians, three Roman, one Jewish, who record the chaos that was created by this census. And census, they're important. They're important for the governments that rule. And that's why um, recently, now some of you know Sherry and I can't afford real property in Canada, so we've got this property so far away from Vancouver that there's no power or water. It's, it's a little piece of property on, on an island. And even though it's so remote that it's not connected to the electrical grid, Canada's census found that address and left us a letter on our dock threatening us punishment by law if we did not fill out that census. Why are governments so interested in counting people? Because that helps them count the budget. And so you can actually see a wall near this great statue of Caesar Augustus. And on this great wall are carved his 35 top life achievements, and listed as number eight in his top 35 life achievements is this census that required everyone in the occupied territories to go to their hometown and register so that they might know how much taxes they could expect from that little town of Bethlehem. Now, some of you have been to the Holy Land, and and you've been on that tour, but trust me, this was a little town. In fact, there were perhaps no more than 300 people living in that little town of Bethlehem. And during that day, because of that census, the crowds were returning to their hometown. This is why we used to dread living in Malacca during Chinese New Year. Because a lot of Peranakan come from Malacca. And Chinese New Year, they come home and it's impossible to get around. Bethlehem was just this way. And so as all of this great crowd returned to their hometown, that at one time was very famous, right? Because the king came from that town. David came from that town. Two of those people, one couple, were Mary and Joseph 
who were living in Nazareth, way up in the north. They had to travel all the way down through Samaria, 110 kilometers travel. They came from Nazareth down to Joseph's hometown in Bethlehem. And at the end of that journey, they discovered they weren't the only people going to Bethlehem. Everything was fully booked. So, here's what I've learned from this unnamed innkeeper. The first lesson is um, sometimes, you know, I'm just busy, right? I mean, you, you understand this. You're, you're from Singapore, right? It's not that you're even looking for more friends because your calendar is already full of friendships, right? <laughs> Right? It's not that you're looking for more opportunities, more things to do in your week, because your calendar is already full. And, and on this night, that week, that month, that was a time, a, an experience of huge financial bonanza for this innkeeper. I mean, he, he was preoccupied making a living. He was preoccupied making money. Let's be honest. You know, we can be all spiritual and say, you know, I don't care about money. But at the end of the day, if I'm going to be miserable and poor or miserable and rich, rather be miserable and rich. Right. So we know you spiritual people. It's not about being happy. Money doesn't make me happy. But if I have a choice, I got to go to work. It's hard to get by in Singapore or Bethlehem without it. And on this particular day, this was a huge windfall for this innkeeper. This, this was his chance to change everything. I mean, who owns an inn in Bethlehem? There's 300 people who live there. You know, it's, it's, it's not a great tourist destination. It's, it would be like owning a hotel in Sembawang. I mean, you've got a beautiful view of JB, but who actually wants it? Right? You, you just exist to hope that somebody's traveling down from Thailand is so exhausted that they don't want to actually go into Singapore, just the first stop in Bawang. Is there a, a hotel here or not? I don't know. I mean, it's, it's not a brilliant business plan to own an inn in a town of 300 people. Assuming everybody's related, they live with somebody. But here is this guy with this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Hail Caesar for this census, because this is my opportunity to send my boy to uni in Athens. This could change our whole family's life. Now this um, thing about GBC that's a blessing to me is, you know, we are kind of an unusual church, multi-generational and some, some of you young people, I mean, you are living the kind of life your grandparents never imagined. Because they came to this country like my grandfather went to Canada with nothing except hopes and dreams. They did the worst kind of work. Find the old pictures of Singapore. See the men pulling rickshaws. You want to see ribs? Look at those men. They were just trying to survive, right? And, and they experienced the unspeakable horror of a global war. A, a war in which the invading army was interested in ethnic cleansing on this island. Somehow, 
your ancestors survived that. And then how to buy a bicycle, to ride to work, to earn some money, to buy a piece of dirt, to build a house I may never enjoy, but my children might. I say this to you because just like my children, I sense sometimes in Singapore, I'll, the young people are like, we don't, you know, we don't need stuff like our parents. Our parents always after stuff. We don't, we don't need things because our parents go after stuff all the time and all it gave us was a father we never saw, broken marriages and emptiness. We don't need stuff. But then Steve Jobs came along. He told us what we wanted and then he sold it to us. And, and then Sony invented a flat screen TV. Are you kidding? Flat screen? And then Samsung invented a watch that speaks to us. And suddenly we're in the same kind of thing. We're, we're busy. We're, we're preoccupied just trying to get more stuff. Now, now Sherry and I, because we're here in Singapore at Christmas, we went down to Orchard Road. We did this honestly and took photos so you wouldn't have to go down to Orchard Road. <laughs> because, you know, yes, we took a few photos of lights because that's what's so famous, right? But, but next slide. Here's what we really saw a lot of. Every single step crowded with people who, as far as I could tell, thought I was extremely wealthy. Because everyone on Orchard Road is selling something. Right? Everyone I bumped into knew an orphan. And selling me some bobble for the children, sir. Everyone is out making money. We have not advanced from 2,000 years ago. We're no different from this innkeeper who's like, I'm just trying to make a living. It's, it's, it's not that I'm, I resent guests who come late. It, it's just I'm, I'm preoccupied with stuff. And, and so I've begun to realize, like, if I spend my entire life and, and never get to see one of my boys graduate from Oxford, uh, probably isn't the greatest tragedy on the planet. I mean, if I go through all of my days and never get to own a PR in my Singapore dream home, I will probably survive that tragedy. If I leave this service today and go home and there's no Apple Watch sitting under my tree, I'll still be okay. But if I live this entire life and at my end of days, I realized the king of heaven moved into my neighborhood and I never met him because I was preoccupied with stuff I will never take with me. That's a lesson I want to learn. That's the first lesson of the innkeeper. Sometimes I just get too busy. The second lesson he teaches me is sometimes, honestly, I'm just already full. I, I mean, we can assume, right, he had a lot going on that night. Probably the first time ever his 
inn was full. And, and we can assume it was, it was late and busy, but you know what? It was late and busy for everyone. You know, it wasn't just Mary and Joseph who had traveled. Everyone had traveled. Um, and I just want to be clear about this. It, it wasn't, he, was, he was not rejecting this baby Jesus. I'm, I'm going to draw an analogy because I feel like most of you feel like all of your friends aren't here this afternoon because they have somehow rejected Jesus. They may not love us, but most people on this planet, they don't hate Jesus, right? He had no, um, no Messiah philosophy, no sign that said, you know, all people welcome except Jewish messiahs, except for babies who, who might grow up to be kings. We don't want that kind of guest. He was just full, right? And, and here's the situation. For, for much of my life, I was filling my heart up with stuff. I liked the idea of Jesus, really, seriously. He, you know, he was great. But, but I'm full, Right? It's, it's like Halloween in Canada. The week after Halloween, our boys never want to eat healthy food because they're full of candy. It's not good for them. It may even make them feel sick to their stomach, but they can't help the fact that they're full. Here's the thing. Someone got there first. And, and this is a lesson we have to learn. This is why the gospel demands urgency. Because it's not good news if it doesn't get there in time. It's not good news if it doesn't get there until that person is full with some other philosophy, with some other you know, religion. It's not that they're rejecting, it's just a, how to fit, Right? How to, how, how to fit more in? I'm full of someone else's festivals and, and religious ideas. I already got a holy book in my home. Someone got there first. Not only that, but my, you know, my calendar is full. I've been feeling convicted because now in this transition, waiting for the building to go up, we're meeting in the afternoon. And so Sherry and I take advantage to get our 10,000 steps in on Sunday morning. I pretty much guarantee you that 90% of Singapore is out walking on the East Coast Park Sunday morning. How many of, you, of those do you think uh, when we move into the new building would say, oh, oh, you're at 9 o'clock in the morning now. Okay, no problem. I do have something going on, but I'm willing to exchange the great outdoors, the seafront, walking out in the breeze with sitting in front of you guys. Not going to happen Be, because people are already full. Their calendars, their hearts, they're full. Something radical has to happen. It's not a white man shouting. It's not new songs that we sing. It's not having a, a cooler shtick in our service. It's the power of Almighty God that must visit and put this nagging dissatisfaction in the hearts of men and women all around us because people are full. Tuesday they got golf. Wednesday they got appointments. Every day got kids. It's not that they've rejected him. It's just they've got no free space, no 
free time, no, no room. You see, that's why those kings were called wise men. They were likely Zoroastrian, right? They were from Iran. They, they worshipped the Lord of Wisdom, Ahura Mazda, for those of you who are driving one. Right? They worship this Lord of wisdom. Why do we call them wise? Because they had the wisdom to look up and see the light that would guide them to the king of creation. And yet most of us, we are too busy enjoying the stuff that we see down here. We're, we're like those infamous pigs who, who love apples and are so busy enjoying the glorious happiness and joy of apple flavor that we don't ever look up and wonder where do apples come from so so in this time in which men and women are busy and men and women are full it requires someone to say do we have a moment just a moment to look up and to see this light guiding us or are we going to carry this no vacancy sign all our lives to our grave until we realize actually we thought we were full, but we were empty. The third lesson I learned from this innkeeper, a fellow pilgrim who I so identify with, is this miracle. When I can't give him what he deserves, he receives what I offer. Can you do that next slide, brother? Uh, he, here's what gave my heart joy. You know, coming from Canada, we're not really supposed to even say Merry Christmas because we're Canadian. We don't want to offend anybody, right? So we say Happy Holidays. Here on Orchard Road, manger scene. Have you, have you seen this manger scene? Uh, but, but here's something else I noticed. I, I took this next shot. Uh, person after person after person was, was going up to the baby Jesus, offering him some milk in a bottle. And I, actually, I'm full, but may, maybe I can get a little bit of you know good stuff coming my way because helping out Jesus. Right? If there's just something I can do, you know, maybe I'm I'm more open to getting a little close to him, like I, like Indian Chinese that kept running up and then you know selfie with the baby Jesus. Look at how I'm helping out God. Right, that that ought to be worth a, you know, a few bonus points. But here is, to me, the greatest gift. It's not the gift that the wise men brought. It, it's it's the gift that he himself was. And in this, the innkeeper so perfectly models for me. Yeah, he was occupied, preoccupied with all his personal stuff. He, he was busy, you know, making a living or paying university tuition. But, but here he shows me that when he couldn't give the Lord of creation what the Lord of creation deserved, let's be honest, there is no way he could give the Lord of creation what he deserved. He was an innkeeper. He wasn't a king. He couldn't offer the palace and on a busy day, a businessman couldn't even offer him a room. But there's a barn out back. If you need a place. You lay that baby down in a feeding trough. So that the first to bow are animals. That's 
what I've got. So, this amazing picture of God's mercy and grace demonstrates that on that night, the creator of heaven and earth, the Lord of the heavenly hosts, dropped off his heavenly glory and stepped down off of his heavenly throne and slipped into human flesh and settled down in a barn. Do you get the fact that you can smell a barn before you see a barn? You realize farm animals are not house-trained. They don't, they don't raise a hoof and say, got to go toilet. You know, it's, it's just all there, all night. And that's where the king of creation lay his head down. No, no, I want to be honest with you. I, I love you people. I'm looking out and I'm saying you're a beautiful, beautiful crowd. But you're no palace. You are not a palace. And this man is not either. I spent so much of my life filling this barn up with garbage, rubbish. And then I started to hear it from all the contemporary religious Pharisees who, who would say, Now, Ian, if you can't give Jesus the faith he deserves, then don't even bother. Look at the way you look. <laughs> Always look at the way you look after don't even bother. If, if, if you can't give him his rightful place in your life, then don't even waste the effort. Or maybe you've heard this Christian cliche, if he cannot be Lord of all, he will not be Lord at all. Have you heard that? Religious rubbish. Because hear me, the quality of his lordship is not dependent on the condition of my barn. The quality of God Almighty is not dependent on the quality of your faith or lack thereof. Here is the miracle. I don't have a palace. I am not a palace. I don't even have an inn that's been kept clean by some maid or helper. I've just got this barn. And yeah, I can tell you, 35 years ago, the king of creation walked into this barn and he made it a temple. Not because he found it clean, but when he walks in, darkness flees, dirt is cleansed, peace and joy and power lays its head down in me. That is good news. 30 years later, or 33 years later to be specific, because I know there's engineers here. Jesus taught one failing disciple the lesson of an innkeeper. You remember Simon? Impetuous. Jump over the boat, Simon. I'll follow you anywhere, Jesus, Simon. Let me take that ear off for you, Jesus, Simon. That guy, remember him. And then Jesus died. And Simon, being the leader that he was, said, I'm done. I'm done. I hoped he was the guy. I thought he was the guy. And then the guy died. 
And, and honestly, I'm not even the guy to follow the guy because I couldn't even stand up to a slave girl around a campfire who asked me, hey, you have that same accent, that Galilean accent from the north. Aren't you one of his followers? I denied him three times. I denied him. I'm done. I'm going back fishing. And though Simon Peter had given up trying to follow Jesus, Jesus had not given up trying to follow Simon. And there he met him at the lakeside and called them in, have breakfast, look at me. I am alive. Do you recall this story in John chapter 21? The 11 are there. But the king of creation goes to that messed up barn named Simon Peter and asks three questions. Simon, do you love me more than these? More than these, we don't know what. But do you love me, Simon? You remember, Simon Peter grieved. and uh, Jesus, you know I, I love you. And three times that same question. And sometimes we wonder why three times. It's because English is an imperfect dialect to describe the ways of God. Because when Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, do you love me? He used that unusual, sacrificial giving, pouring oneself out, agapeo. Simon, do you agapeo me? And Simon said, Jesus, you know me. I phileo you. You see, the reason Jesus asked three times is because Peter could not give him the right answer. Jesus said, do you love me in this sacrificial, life-giving way that is unconditioned? Do you, do you love me that way? And, and Simon says, bro, you know, you know I love you as a brother, man. Not the same kind of love. And so Jesus asked the second time, Simon, do you agape, do you, do you love me with a sacrificial, a giving, a, a pouring of oneself out? Do you love me that kind of way? And Peter is grieved, said, Lord, Lord, uh, I, I like you a whole lot like I, I like my brother. That's, that's what I got. Now hear this, GBC. Hear, hear this, you people who have gotten distracted by, by stuff, and, and, and maybe some of you are full, like I'm, I'm already, like my uncle said to me, you can share me, with me the gospel, but I'm already a, a communist. You know, somebody got to my uncle first. His name was Karl Marx. <laughs> Not born in a manger. <laughs> you might be just like that, someone got to you first, you're, you're, you're full, right? So here's the good news. The third time Jesus said, first, do you, do you agape o me? Do you agape o me? The third time, Simon, do you phileo me? Do you love me as a brother? Simon, being grieved that the Lord would ask him three times, said, you know all things, that's what I got. That's all I got. That's what I can give you. This is why this broken down bar, this, this man who has nothing but a stable, 
dares to offer it to him. I offer this barn not because it's great, just because he is willing to lay down in what I can offer him. I want to invite you to bow with me for just a moment. In a moment, I'm going to pray, and we are going to receive this second offering. But I wonder, as you look down, can you find that little card that was in your ministry guide? On one side, it says, my Christmas gift. I want you to take a moment and look at that card and you know what? There's a box for you to check if all you can do today is say, you know what, thanks for the offer, but I'm just full. Full calendar, full of somebody else's philosophy. Wish I heard you first, but I didn't. Check that box, I'm just full. If you check that box, you don't even need to put your name, seriously. Um, uh, let me assure you, no one's going to hunt you down. There's no place to write your address, right? So um, the plan is not for, uh, like, direct intervention. We're not going to do home invasion. But, but if you would be willing, check that box or some other gift that you would give. So, so maybe somebody got to you first, but you're still curious about this Jesus. If you want more information, then let that be your Christmas gift to the King of creation. Just check. I'm interested. Send me more information. I'm not saying send me the deacons to do this hard sell. I'm I'm just asking for information so I could just kind of journey on this. I can just do this personal pilgrimage. I, I just want to start with my own space. That's that second box. Or, or, or maybe this Christmas will be a different day for you. Maybe you would say, just like that, Pastor Ian, just like that innkeeper, I want to offer him my, my, my inn, my manger. And if if possible, I'd like to talk with an elder or a pastor about this. Then check that box. Write your email so that we can read it. And we'll contact you. Then for many of us, we have been offering the Lord the gift of our ears and our heart today. But, but maybe He would gift you in ways that He expects you to exercise in His service. So, so if today on this Christmas Sunday, you would like to give the Lord of creation your spiritual gifts and exercise it in His church for His glory, then check that box. I'm going to pray for us. If you need a pen or a pencil, just raise your hand. You can keep that pen as a gift. And then the ushers will come by with these blue bags and we will close our service with this second offering. We're going to sing or hear a choir response or something. Somebody who knows what's happening is going to stand up here next. Then you can all relax.
Let me pray for us. God, we offer you what we have, not because it's glorious. We offer you what we have because it's available. It may be imperfect. It may be full of rubbish, but we trust it with you. So receive these gifts, and if you would somehow, would you not use them, these imperfect gifts given by grateful hearts, would you not use them for your pleasure and for your glory? We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.